Selena Robinson steps down. She screwed up. She uh, made a really significant error. The mistake that cost the high-profile minister her place in cabinet. Bombshell details in the Tadlow Park murder. He never judged anybody, never criticized anybody, he always fought for people's rights. The death of the park's beloved caretaker and his connection to the accused. And the true cost of hosting the FIFA World Cup. The good news is, is that we get revenue back from tickets that are sold. BC under pressure to pay some big bills before the tournament comes to Vancouver. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Selena Robinson, BC's Minister of Advanced Education, is stepping down from Cabinet. Robinson has been the focus of intense anger over comments she made during an online forum that some felt demeaned Palestinian history. Richard Zussman joins us now live from Victoria. And Richard, this all started with those comments last week. It did. It was made at a B'nai B'rith form, Chris, and you mentioned that anger. It has come from the Palestinian community, the Muslim community, First Nations community, the education community. And after some reflection, Premier David Eby making the decision. Selena Robinson is out of cabinet. After a weekend of reflection, conversation and apology, the decision now made. Selena Robinson no longer BC's Minister of Advanced Education. We have reached a, a challenging uh, but necessary decision that Selena will be stepping down. Robinson, a prominent member of both EB's cabinet and the Jewish community, will remain in the NDP caucus. She has been heavily criticized since these comments were posted Thursday viewed millions of times on social media. We have a whole generation and we know from the data that it's 18 to 34 year olds that have no idea about the Holocaust. They don't even think it happened. They don't even understand that Israel was was offered to the Jews who were who were misplaced, displaced. Um, so they have no connection to how it started. They don't understand that it was a crappy piece of land with nothing on it. You know, there were you know several hundred thousand people. But other than that, it didn't produce an economy. Since then, the response has been swift. Members of the Palestinian community here describe this as racism and Muslim leadership sending a joint letter banning NDP candidates and MLAs from mosques. You can't come and appease us uh, at any given time and not take our concerns seriously and not protect uh, our communities uh, from harmful remarks. Robinson also used First Nations as a metaphor for the conflict for Israel and Palestine, something also described by the Premier as hurtful. Robinson not joining EB for the announcement, releasing this statement instead. This decision does not excuse my harmful comments, it reads, nor does it absolve me of the work I am committed to doing. While I previously decided not to run again in the next election, I remain committed to my constituents for the remainder of my term. I think it's important when harm is caused that you reach out to the community that has been hurt, you identify how you can make it better, and then you start on that work. The NDP caucus meeting in Surrey Monday, joining them dozens of protesters calling for her resignation. The Jewish community, who Robinson championed, in shock about the decision. Selena Robinson was not just the Jew in the room, but she brought a very important voice and perspective uh, that was needed for our premier and for our province. And that voice isn't around the table now anymore at a time when our community is very much in danger. Okay, Richard, so what happens now and is there any talk of who might replace uh, Selena Robinson? 
For now, the Premier says that Brenda Bailey, the jobs minister, will take over and ultimately the Premier needs to put someone more permanent in this job. Post-secondary education, a big portfolio dealing with the big issue right now of those visas for foreign students. As for what happens in different communities, the BC Alliance of Students sending out a statement. They say that the province has a lot of work to ensure that Muslim students feel safe on campus following these comments. As for the Jewish community, you heard a little bit there, but they are deeply concerned now as well and believe that those in the Jewish community should no longer support the NDP because of the message it sends to remove Robinson from cabinet after her apologies. Mm. All right, lots to consider in that one. Thank you very much, Richard. All right, let's keep uh, going on this coverage. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria as well. Keith, these comments by Selena Robinson dog Premier Evie for days, mm -hmm. uh, creating a lot of distraction. Uh, and this is an election year as well. Could this continue? Yeah, so it's interesting to see the NDP caucus reaction to this. They met in Surrey, as Richard reported today. Uh, when the, the comments first surfaced, I talked to a number of MLAs who were defensive and protective of Selena Robinson. But as the weekend progressed, particularly when the mosque issued their statement saying NDP MLAs no longer welcome at their uh, facilities, the message changed within the caucus. A number of caucus members now realized over the weekend the stakes were much higher and much different, particularly in an election year, not wanting to be dogged by pro, uh, protesters at every stop, reaching all the way to the October campaign. A point made by UBC Poli Prof Daryl Barr today. You know, the election isn't around the corner necessarily, but it's coming. <laughs> and so uh, this is cutting a loss, uh, I think, uh, or certainly a vulnerability that they don't want to be talking about still into the fall. Certainly not. Uh, the NDP needs to get back on its more focused messaging, talking about housing and such issues as affordability, not talking about something like this. So it seemed inevitable last night this was going to happen today. And it did. All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry and Victoria. All right, a warning about some of the images in our next report. They might be disturbing for some people. Breaking details from the inquest into the fatal fire at the Winters Hotel SRO. It just wrapped up with a number of recommendations to prevent a similar tragedy from happening again. John Waugh reports. Nearly two years after the alarm sounded at the Winters Hotel and video captured the panic and confusion as fire fell from the ceiling. A coroner's inquest into the fatal fire that claimed the lives of Dennis Gay and Marianne Garlow has concluded with a verdict and recommendations. The jury's unanimous verdict in the deadly blaze that gutted the single-room occupancy building in Vancouver's downtown east side on April 11, 2022. The death of both residents were ruled as accidental as a result of thermal injuries and smoke inhalation. Some of the key recommendations include BC Housing must work with owners and lease agreement holders to hold a higher standard of fire safety, have smoke detectors with adjustable sensitivity and extra fire extinguishers, have purpose-built buildings for people with disabilities and complex needs, and have specialized fire safety plans for those residents, and use city bylaws to ensure compliance. The jury also highlighted previous fire safety orders at the Winters Hotel were ignored and confusion about responsibility led to delays. There was also a call to find ways to address complex issues in housing, such as mental health issues, damaged equipment, and hoarding. Also among the strongest recommendations, BC Housing should eliminate or phase out single-room occupancy in privately owned buildings, have up-to-date tenant lists so they can properly be deemed safe, to bring in legislation to fund and ensure the safety of residents with mobility and hearing disabilities, and name it after Dennis Gay, who was hearing impaired. 
The hope with these recommendations when housing some of the most vulnerable people in our community, their health and safety will never be compromised again. John Hua, Global News. The trial for a man accused of the brutal killing of a beloved park caretaker began today, revealing the connection between the victim and the man facing charges of second-degree murder. Justice Daniel was found stabbed to death in his Tatlow Park residence. And as Cassidy Moscone reports, the two were linked long ago by music. Justice Daniel was a talented musician, a Vancouver Park caretaker and a victim of second-degree murder. That's according to Crown prosecutors who say Brent White committed the crime in Daniel's Kitsilano home in December 2021. He's just such an amazing character that was such a huge part of his community, whatever community he was in. Nobody deserves this. White pleading not guilty. On day one of his Supreme Court trial, the court heard the pair worked together. White created a website for Daniel's music more than a decade earlier. On December 9, prosecutors say he stabbed the 77-year-old to death 42 times, 18 of those to his face and head. When he didn't answer his girlfriend's calls the next day, firefighters made the grim discovery during a welfare check. The trial heard forensics found Brent White's bloodied fingerprints and DNA at the scene. He was arrested some three months later with a bloodied knife and shoes in his possession. He is fighting the charges. The court is yet to hear White's defence. We did hear from Daniel's long-term partner, who described him as a very friendly and non-violent person. She was shocked when defence lawyers showed her photos of rifles and weapons found in Daniel's home. The trial is set for six weeks. We want justice for justice. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. One person has minor injuries after a vehicle caught fire in Vancouver's downtown east side this morning. Just after 10 a.m., Vancouver fire crews responded to the area near Main Street and Gore Avenue to find the burning vehicle. Firefighters quickly knocked down the flames. The driver of the vehicle with California license plates made it out with minor burns to her hands. Yeah, potentially uh, would, would uh, account for some, obviously, the injuries of getting some of the stuff out. Um, again, thankfully, when the crews arrived, she was away from the vehicle. Uh, so there was no concerns of any imminent rescues at that time. It was just about putting uh, the rest of the car out and not letting it extend into the building beside it. Crews had to put out some lingering hot spots caused by the vehicle's leaking gas tank. Nobody else was hurt. Three days after a Crown prosecutor was attacked near a Vancouver courthouse, there are new questions about safety in B.C.'s justice system. Yes, Crown attorneys are so concerned about it, they say the government should actually move the courthouse out of the downtown east side. Kristen Robinson reports. The charge against a man accused of attacking a Crown prosecutor in Vancouver Friday upgraded to assault causing bodily harm. 27-year-old Kenyan Thomas Lavallee also accused of assaulting another woman moments later. The apparent random attacks occurred around 9 a.m. Global News has learned the prosecutor was punched in the face as she walked to the provincial courthouse at 222 Main Street. We don't know what the motive was. Um, early indication does indicate, you know, there could be some uh, mental health challenges for the suspect. I understand um, that the, my colleague that was assaulted was in the company of a security guard at the time. You should not have to have an escort service 
to access a court. BC's Crown Council Association calling for a conversation on permanently closing the downtown Eastside Courthouse and relocating it to a safer neighborhood elsewhere in the city. The public have every right to come here and observe justice. And when it's located in an area like this that continues to deteriorate before our eyes, it is not safe and therefore it is not accessible. No, we're not uh, currently considering uh, relocating that uh, courthouse. BC's Premier acknowledged recent Supreme Court safety concerns, including allegations a handgun was brought into a courtroom last year, threats towards defense counsel, and the case of a woman convicted of stabbing a rival during a civil proceeding. David Eby says the Attorney General will be reaching out to the Crown Council Association. We will continue the work that we've been doing to ensure the safety of all court participants, uh, no matter who they are. Lavalie had been released from custody on unrelated charges two days before the alleged attacks. He's accused of triggering false fire alarms out of Vancouver Tim Hortons last October and possessing a weapon, an airsoft gun for a dangerous purpose in December. Lavalie appeared in court briefly via video Monday, his bail hearing put over for a week. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A judge's decision is just days away in a court case that's being watched across Canada. At issue, should a lawyer be held financially liable for submitting fake case law to the court after using artificial intelligence? Ramina Dea reports. It's an extraordinary situation. The lawyers who discovered the fake cases are suing for thousands of dollars in special costs. Lauren and Fraser McLean say lawyer Chanka should be held financially responsible. We do expect to be compensated for every penny spent to expose these cases were fake because otherwise I don't even know if it would have ever come to light, said Lauren McLean to the judge on Friday. Miss Ke's lawyer told the court she made an honest mistake and there is no such case in Canada where special costs were awarded under similar circumstances. Ms. Ke used ChatGPT to generate fake cases in a high net worth parenting application, the best interests of children at stake. Ms. Ke apologized to the court saying she was not aware the artificial intelligence chatbot was unreliable and she did not check to see if the cases actually existed. Ms. Ke is currently under investigation by the Law Society of BC. It is believed to be the first case of its kind in Canada. It is serious uh, in the sense that it's going to create um, a precedent um, and it's going to give some guidance. Legal experts and observers are hoping the judge's ruling provides some clarity on what degree of technological competence are lawyers expected to have and what happens if they make a mistake. ChatGPT's own terms of use warns the content generated may not be accurate in some situations. Some experts say the new technology should be banned in the legal community until there's more education on how to use it because the risk is too great for a miscarriage of justice. For the legal system, there should be um, more uh, rules about how these tools may or may not be used. The level of responsibility and accountability that the people who use these models have. BC Supreme Court Justice David Masuhara is expected to deliver a decision over the next two weeks. Romina Dea, Global News. 
Well, by now you've heard Vancouver has scored big, hosting seven FIFA World Cup soccer matches in 2026. But it comes with an as yet undetermined cost. We have to get innovative. Now that reality is setting in, how is BC going to pay for the field upgrades and security and operational costs that will be necessary when the games begin? And where's everyone going to stay? Potential solutions next on the News Hour. I'm apologizing to the victim and to her family because it's taken this long. London police reveal more about their sexual assault case against five former Hockey Canada players. That's coming up. And an awe-inspiring sight in the waters of Garden Bay on the Sunshine Coast. That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, a big victory for Vancouver with the city winning hosting rights to seven games for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. The tourism sector and soccer fans, including Vancouver's mayor, are all obviously thrilled. But as Aaron MacArthur shows us, now the real work begins. It will be a spectacle rivaling the 2010 Olympics. All the pandemonium of seven World Cup matches descending on Vancouver. More games than originally promised by FIFA. It's hard for me not to jump up and down right now. We, uh, we hit a home run. Now that the announcement is out of the way comes the hard part. Organizing it all and paying for it. Officially, the city is on the hook for a budget of $230 million. But that amount is likely going up. We have a history in Vancouver of getting things done, be it Expo 86, the Olympics. We've actually hosted three different World Cups here. Two years out, and there are still a lot of questions. BC Place needs another renovation. The cost, undetermined. It needs a new grass field. No one knows what that will cost either. There's security costs, fan activation costs. But despite it all, the province is adamant it will be worth it in the end. The Ministry of Finance will be doing the work with FIFA uh, going forward to understand what this means in terms of offsetting costs uh, or incurring additional costs and we'll have more to share about that going forward. Sports marketing experts say despite the risks, this opportunity only serves to boost Vancouver's reputation as a big event city. The upside far outweighs the downside. I, from a brand point of view, a reputation point of view, a tourism point of view, I can't imagine Vancouver as a Pacific Gateway city not being involved. One of the biggest questions is where people will stay. The city expects in the range of 900,000 people to pass through Vancouver during the event and in the years immediately afterwards. Everything from dorm rooms to temporary floating hotels are being pitched as possible solutions. I think we're going to be putting people all throughout the lower mainland. I would expect that people would be staying over in Vancouver Island as well and given the new ferry service for daily trips as an example. According to the government, ticket sales will directly offset costs, but those tickets will be extremely hard to come by. Concerns already being raised that most locals will be watching the World Cup on TV. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. London police faced a barrage of questions today about its handling of the investigation of a group sexual assault from 2018 that only recently led to charges. The accused include five former members of Canada's champion world junior hockey team. Global's Shalima Maharaj reports on the apology that came from the city's police chief. 
Dylan Dubay, Carter Hart, Cal Foote, Alex Formenton and Michael McLeod were nowhere to be found in a London, Ontario courtroom Monday morning. Their lawyers appearing on their behalf over video. In previous statements to Global News, their lawyers have previously denied the allegations. They've all been charged with sexual assault. McLeod faces an additional charge for being party to the offense. The one charge he was laid with is in relation to his own actions. And the party to the offense charge is in relation to aiding someone else in committing the offense. So what is the behavior that would have involved aiding? I can't disclose any details about that because the case is before the courts. Though faced with many questions, London police would say little about what prompted them to charge the players. It's alleged they sexually assaulted a woman in a London, Ontario hotel room following a Hockey Canada gala. The case was initially investigated by London police in 2018, but according to an ITO, a sworn affidavit made by an investigator seeking approval from a judge for a warrant. At the time, the lead investigator concluded reasonable grounds did not exist to proceed with the charges. I want to extend on behalf of the London Police Service my sincerest apology to the victim, to her family, for the amount of time that it has taken to reach this point. News of the alleged 2018 assault first broke in May 2022, following reports Hockey Canada quietly settled a civil lawsuit with the complainant. Damning revelations that not only prompted a probe on Parliament Hill, but scathing criticism of hockey culture. If we can't reform the locker room, I'm not sure how we can reform the broader sport, uh, because this is starting when they're 15, 16 years old, if not earlier. Uh, so the, the culture of abuse uh, goes very deep in the sport. In a statement in response to London Police, Hockey Canada says it has fully cooperated with the investigation and has implemented significant measures to improve the culture of sport. And while some may see this as a potential watershed moment for hockey culture, lawyer Lord Honickman cautions. This isn't a royal commission. This is a criminal case now. This is a case of five young people facing serious charges, facing uh, potential jail time should there be a conviction. Shalima Maharaj, Global News. Up next, a culture clash in Powell River. Step one is, are you in favor of a name change? The debate that has some calling for a councillor's resignation. And after five shootings in five weeks, what Surrey's top cop says about safety and how it might surprise you. First Nation near Powell River claims an elected councillor from that city belittled and mocked their language by using a made-up place name. Step one is, are you in favor of a name change? Yes or no? That's simple. You don't convolute it with Wakawanda or whatever name comes out of Klahaman. Councillor Jim Palm was pushing for an opinion poll over whether Powell River should change its name. At a council meeting on Tuesday, he said it should be a simple yes or no question and used a made-up word to describe place names of the Klamath Nation. Our people were, were taught to be ashamed of our language through this exact behaviour from, um, from Councillor Palm. This has resulted in the near loss of our language. We're working very hard to reclaim the fluency in Ijuthim and um, a mockery of, of this is um, insulting. 
In a statement, Palm says he's sorry for any misunderstanding following his comments at the meeting. He writes, the fictitious name I used was not intended as a mockery of the Klamath language. However, it is now clear the effect of this example was hurtful and had further reaching consequences, although there was no disrespect meant. The shooting Friday afternoon in Surrey outside a busy strip mall that left one man with serious injuries is the fifth shooting in that city this year. And as Janet Brown reports, calls are mounting for police to do more. But the officer in charge of the Surrey RCMP says crime is actually down. Surrey RCMP officer in charge Brian Edwards is blaming the drug culture for much of the recent violence. A lot of shootings are linked to organized crime. They're linked to the drug trade. And we don't think it's enough just to enforce. We need to educate and we need to prevent. Edwards admits he is worried innocent people could get caught up in these shootings. So yeah, it makes me angry. And yeah, that's why we're going to continue to have significant resources on these files. However, he says 2023 finished with a 30% reduction in shots fired calls compared with 2022. And he says there was a 50% reduction in homicides last year compared with the year before. This is uh, absolutely a concern because it's it's a blip at the beginning of the year. Surrey's mayor admits it's not a good start to 2024. I talked to uh, OIC Edwards about this every probably every two or three days and I can tell you that we are deploying and he is deploying every frontline officer that we get. Surrey Councillor Mandeep Nagra says the latest shooting in such a public space has created a lot of fear. People are afraid to go out for their walks, normal walks. People are afraid to go out for shopping. He says more police officers are needed to deter the violence and blames the mayor for not enough officers. The first priority should be to have more boots on the ground. And we have 50 SPS officers that can be deployed tomorrow. But the mayor says that is just not true. There uh, certainly has been no 50 officers waiting to be deployed. That is uh, not facts. Regardless of the politics, the Surrey Board of Trade says the city's economic brand is being impacted by the shootings. We're hearing, you know, what is going on and uh, when is this going to end? The question is, is will my workforce be safe? Um, you know, will their families be safe? For now, many are just thankful the latest shooting didn't result in any innocent people getting shot. Janet Brown, Global News. Coming up, the royal health crisis, the cancer diagnosis for King Charles III, and the unknowns that have his subjects and supporters very concerned. Also coming up, a new report highlights the primary barriers preventing Indigenous youth from getting the mental health care they need. Messages of support are flooding in for King Charles III following the announcement that he's been diagnosed with cancer. Buckingham Palace says the king will pause his public duties, but beyond that, they're releasing no other details about what kind of cancer he's dealing with. When the king left hospital last week, it was thought he was on the road to recovery. His treatment for an enlarged prostate deemed successful. But on Monday, Buckingham Palace said during that procedure, doctors noted something and carried out tests. Those tests have identified a form of cancer. It's not been revealed what type, but it's reportedly not prostate cancer. 
Charles was seen at church in Sandringham on Sunday. The palace says he has already begun a schedule of treatment. The king will step away from public duties for the time being, but will continue with other duties as head of state, including paperwork. Breaking news from Buckingham Palace. British news networks have had rolling coverage, including reports Prince Harry will return from the US in the coming days. Messages of support have come from across the UK and around the world. I think my thoughts are with him, with the family. I hope that they're, um, they're all able to rally together. Sorry, it's a bit of a shock. Like, I'm genuinely uh, heart, heartfelt thoughts to, to him. That sounds pretty scary. And with all wish to send him our very best wishes for the successful treatment and a speedy recovery following tonight's news. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said Canadians across the country are thinking of the King as he undergoes treatment. The palace statement said the King remains wholly positive about his treatment and looks forward to returning to public duty as soon as possible. The statement also said the King wanted to share his diagnosis to help public understanding of cancer and to prevent speculation. But given that the form of cancer has not been revealed, there is a concern about just how serious this diagnosis may be. Redmond Channel Global News, London. A new report highlights the need for improved access to mental health resources for Indigenous youth. The report from Deloitte called Breaking Colonial Legacies and Mapping New Pathways to Mental Wellness gives insights and recommendations from Indigenous youth for helping to advance reconciliation. Key findings include a need to respond to the unique needs of Indigenous peoples, the removing of barriers that impact timely access to mental wellness supports, incorporating Indigenous ways of healing, and speeding up accreditation for Indigenous mental wellness practitioners. Embedded in this is the stigma around accessing care, the ability to, to be able to say, you know, I need help, to be able to look at ourselves and say within ourselves we need to reach out. This is a significant barrier for youth. Um, they talk a lot about racism, um, the racism that they feel, um, this racial barrier of not being able to identify who they are, not to be able to speak about who, where they come from. Another important finding was that only 40% of First Nations communities had broadband internet, which is another barrier hampering Indigenous youth from accessing mental health supports. Just ahead, art imitates life. There's nothing made up. It's everything that happened. The stage play inspired by a girl who sparked a global movement calling for more kindness. But first, the stunning appearance of a pod of dolphins off the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> oh, that was cruel. No. Christy, she just said, because I was complaining about how cold it was getting, she's like, oh, do your joints ache? Like, well, is that mine, mean? Mine do. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you were teasing me about my advanced age. Uh, well, that, yes, yes. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, right? I do. Yeah, well, I do. They are to have a little bit of arthritis in my toes, and they start to ache when the weather changes. <laughs> my knuckles. The we're, struggle is real. We're all it's... that age. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, all right. 
We've got some great weather on the way for tomorrow. Hopefully your joints uh, don't ache too much tomorrow. I just want to point out that we have been very lucky. You know, we had such a wet and very mild week last week, and now we saw fairly pleasant weather over the weekend. We have more of it on the way because we have this major atmospheric river targeting west parts of California, areas like L.A., for example, and you probably heard areas like Nova Scotia getting 150 centimeters of snow. So we have extremes happening on either parts of the um, continent. Meanwhile, we're dealing with not a lot. There is some snowfall for higher elevations, so make sure you're aware we are looking at snow for the mountain passes, but overall temperatures have climbed back down to near seasonal values. So lower elevations will see uh, snowfall overnight, but that will transition to rain during the day tomorrow as you make your way up above the freezing mark. Sunshine for the south coast area before this next system drives in on Wednesday. Yes, we're back to rainfall on Wednesday, but this is what we call an inside slider. With those, we tend to get a drop in freezing levels. So we're expecting snow on the local mountains, and we could likely even see that snow down to about 300 meters. But for lower elevations, we're talking about just rainfall. But that's some great news for the local mountains, that's for sure. All right, so there's the rainfall for the southeastern corner of the province. We'll see that in through the southern interior. But again, it will be snow overnight for a lot of those areas transitioning to rain. Sunshine for us tomorrow. We're expecting a high of 8 degrees. We'll see rainfall, though, on Wednesday, as you can see temperatures will be cooler freezing level will be low enough so watch for higher elevation snow about above 300 meters and then we still have some more moisture beyond that but overall we're expecting temperatures to remain near seasonal over the next little while lots of people sharing us photos of the sunset tonight there was just a sliver of clearing off in the distance and that just made for these stellar uh, uh, colors as you can see here Aaron, thanks for sharing that from burnaby one day we'll be able to see the sunset, the sunset again after the show. <laughs> That's true. I'm, I'm still waiting for news hour Stonehenge when we leave here and it's still, the sun is still up. Thanks very much, Christy. What a beautiful shot. All right. Uh, oh, before we get to Squire, yes, residents of BC's Sunshine Coast captured an amazing sight on camera over the weekend. Take a look at this. It was Sunday afternoon. Connie Rand filmed this pod of dolphins swimming near her home in Garden Bay, about 45 minutes north of Seashell. She says dolphins and orcas have swum by her house before, but this was a unique sight. She described it as a magical moment and said it was a blessing to see. She was so calm and quiet during the recording of that, too. We just barely heard her Mm -hmm. say things but it was very cool to get her reaction too are you kidding me it must be like a good luck thing or something yeah i think i think it so to see a pod like exactly that. all right uh our good luck charm i once saw the miami dolphins run by me <laughs> yeah that's, were lucky. that's when dan marino Touché. played for them it's like wow dan marino <laughs> and the dolphins uh okay so 33 games left in the canucks regular season and rick talkett is not letting up on the idea that his players have done nothing yet um, you know, we get a lot of publicity, and which is great to a point. I think we, we just got to make sure that we don't buy into this hype. Don't believe the hype. Canucks starting a five-game road trip tomorrow in Carolina with their newest player, Elias Lindholm. Looking forward to watching him play. Also, the inspiration behind hashtag Becca told me to, a play about kindness that's missing a key character. All-star breaks behind us, and now, uh, boy, the Vancouver Canucks have something special ahead. Let's hope. Yeah, you know what gets real now. Mm-hmm. The Vancouver Canucks begin the stretch run towards the playoffs tomorrow in Carolina. That'll start a five-game road trip, and a road trip is perfect 
for newcomer Elias Lindholm to get to know Elias and all the other Vancouver Canucks. There he is in this picture. He's wearing the different colored uniform at All-Star Weekend. He uh, was practicing on the first power play unit along with Pedersen, JT Miller, Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes. The players, of course, weren't happy to see Andre Kuzmenko go in this trade. They liked him. He was a happy-to-be-here guy. But they are excited that Lindholm is now a Canuck because they know he brings more than Kuzmenko, and he should fit into their way of thinking, which, according to Rick Tockett, has to be even more focused and more disciplined than it has been so far because it's like a drag race. The foot cannot come off the gas pedal, and you can't pull the chute too early. Um, but for our team with these, you know, the back half of this season here, um, you know, we get a lot of publicity, uh, which is great to a point. I think we, we just got to make sure that we don't buy into this hype, that we in this room know who we are, how we play, the way we think, you know, our system. If you want to be go, go far in the playoffs, uh, if you want to make the playoffs, if you want to win, you have to go through these things. And, and all the teams that win are the most disciplined. Now, we all know Rick Tockett's unhappiness with Andre Kuzmenko got him traded to Calgary. Now it's Ilya Mikheyev who's being asked to pick up the slack by Tockett. He'll likely get some time on a line with Pedersen and Lindholm in Carolina tomorrow. And let's face it, he's been the quiet man of late. In January, Mikheyev only had three assists and was a minus three. Now, maybe he's not fully recovered from knee surgery, which happened last year, but he hasn't scored since December 17th, and he hasn't done enough in other areas either. No, I'm not concerned with the scoring. I, I, this is this is a big. I think this is a big. I'm playing with the, these two guys, and I got to see some forechecking from. I got to see some winning, some battles, and and I think coming up with loose pucks when you're playing with those two kind of players like that. So I want him to drive the play, especially as a, a top forechecker for us, um, because you know when you, you know you should get Jim Juice. You know he's got he's got guys that have the puck a lot that can hold on to pucks and can make plays. So you know this is a this is a. This is a test for Mick. I mean, I got to see some good stuff out of him here on this line. This is cool looking, eh? This is the Canucks logo and jersey celebrating Black History Month. The game against Detroit on February 15th will be the game where a ceremony will take place. This particular design is being called the Black Excellence jersey. It's from Nas Sheka, who owns West African Fashion. Great colors. It really makes that skate logo, really makes it jump out, doesn't it? Looks great. Okay, social media and the internet, of course, has changed a lot of how things are done, and that includes giving golf lessons. Mark Crossfield teaches golf, and he teaches golf to a lot of people he'll never meet. Right, golfers, I've got a driver tip. You want to start hitting your driver better, longer, straighter. Mark Crossfield is one of many popular faces you'll see on various social media platforms when it comes to golf and getting better at it. His weekly YouTube videos are seen by half a million subscribers, but Crossfield's dedication to helping you groove your swing doesn't stop there. I'm on every platform, so YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, threads now is a new one and I'm not very good at following my followers I've got a lot on each platform but YouTube's my biggest and Twitter's over 100,000 Facebook over 100,000 Instagram over 100,000 TikTok growing how to build an engaged audience I want to talk about because there's building audiences and then there's building engaged audiences Crossfield is one of the keynote speakers brought in by the PGA of British Columbia for its annual education series where BC's local professionals enhance and increase their teaching knowledge. Same for developing their own personal brand when it comes to messaging and translating it onto a larger audience. Knowledge passed on on the range or increasingly online. 
And it's as simple as this. I'm going to address this ball. I've got a medium iron. You have to be way more well-rounded now. Um, from uh, even if you're still have a, a niche specialty like construction, I mean a lot of our professionals have embraced a lot of those new tools, and uh, it's a big part of our education going forward. Is how to embrace this new world with whether it's social media, there's instructional platforms out there, all kinds of technology, indoor facilities. Again, like the world is is the golf world is changing still, and um, that's our job is to stay on top of it, stay ahead of the curve. From a marketing purpose even, for people to just get a little look into what a lesson might be like. Social media can have um, a pretty big influence on people's decision and it's a great way for us as coaches to make that connection to someone that you may have never connected with before. And I like the look, I like the clean look. Connecting with and improving the golf skills of fellow golfers is something every teaching pro strives for. Crossfield's been at it now for over two decades. His videos and tips have been viewed over a quarter of a billion times. It's a reality. People are online looking for content, looking for education. And if you've got a good voice and want something to say, go and speak to them. Go and help them. When I took a golf lesson, the professional said, perhaps you'd like to try tennis. Let's <laughs> give up the game or take two weeks off and then quit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, the legacy of Becca Schofield hits the stage. How the teen girl turned her terminal illness into a worldwide kindness movement. Jordan Armstrong joins us from the newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris, a warning from Surrey RCMP tonight about a very scary experience over the weekend for a woman in Fleetwood. It happened Saturday night between 10 and 1025 in the area of 156th Street and 78A Avenue. Mounties say a man tried to pull the woman who was walking in the area into an alley so he could sexually assault her. She ran and flagged down a passing driver for help. The suspect got away, but police have a pretty good description of him. We'll have that description at 11, plus some tips from a self-defense expert on the most effective ways to fight back. Chris? All right, Jordan, thank you very much. A New Brunswick teen who launched a global kindness movement has been memorialized in a new stage production. Hashtag Becca Told Me To is set to open later this week with the goal of spreading the production across the country. Shelley Steves has a sneak peek. I'm gonna the legacy of a New Brunswick teen whose kindness movement touched countless hearts around the globe. People have a natural need to do good, so that's what I'm doing. I'm being the vessel for them to do that good. Is now playing out on stage. A play based on the life of Becca Schofield opens later this month in her home province. The story of a 17-year-old diagnosed with terminal brain cancer who launched a kindness movement in 2016 using the hashtag Becca told me to. She had this fear that she would be forgotten, that she had not lived long enough. She had no legacy. But her hashtag became her legacy, inspiring people in 94 countries around the globe to perform acts of kindness. Becca has done so much not only locally, but nationally and globally. The play called Becca opens later this week, bringing together Anglophone and Francophone communities in a bilingual documentary play based on the Becca Told Me To movement. When you're in the room, regardless of what language, you feel like connected to each other, I think, and the kindness movement. There's nothing made up. It's everything that happened. I get a bit emotional now when I think about the play, when I think about 
how she has affected people. Certainly Even things. long after but she passed in 2018, Becca's kindness left. message lives on, which is why McClellan hopes that playhouses across Canada will pick up the production rejuvenating the kindness movement. We just need so much more of it in the world. The essence of Becca is felt throughout the production, but no actor plays her role. It doesn't seem right to have an actor play her. It just doesn't. Because there never has been, nor will there ever be, another Becca. Even if I'm gone, I'm still going to be here in, in the acts of pe kindness that people have done, and, and people are going to remember me for that. Shelley Steves, Global News. Fredericton. Forget that story ran across the country today, too, yeah. and we'll continue to showcase that in the years ahead. All right, Christy, a final word on our weather forecast. Sounds good. So we've got a great day tomorrow. Don't forget, it'll be a frosty start to the day. So watch for slippery conditions and you'll likely have to scrape your windshield. But sunshine during the day. Wednesday is when we're expecting rainfall with the potential for snow over higher elevations. My joints will still hurt. Yes, we'll be popping some more painkillers. Thank you very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all.